One of the things I hear a lot from people who are rethinking their faith is, how do I pray? What does prayer look like now? Dr. Mark Harris is our guest today, and he has a way of talking about connecting to heaven that he calls conspiring prayer, maybe less of a begging for something good and being a part of that process with God. You're not going to want to miss our post-evangelical conversation with Dr. Mark Harris today. And as I take you to that podcast, let me remind you that this podcast is made possible by subscribers like you who go to my website, pastor-paul.com and subscribe to help fund our work here so we can continue to provide hours and hours of free content every day. I, I'm offering a lot of cool stuff, including free access to my audiobook version of my novel, which you see over my shoulder right here, Joseph Comes to Town. It's my novel that is my imagination of what Jesus would say to the right-wing evangelical church today. And for just $5.99 a month, you can get access to the audiobook version of that novel. And my website is the only place you can get the audiobook version. So go to pastor-paul.com. Check out the benefits of being a subscriber in the Pastor Paul community today and help us have this work continue and continue to grow. Now to our conversation with Dr. Mark Karras. Dr. Mark Karras, licensed therapist in San Diego, California, He's an ordained pastor, author of several books, including Religious Refugees, Deconstructing Towards Spiritual and Emotional Healing. And I'm intrigued. You're a therapist. You've been going through your own sort of deconstruction, rethinking of your faith and a pastor. So what has that journey looked like for you? It's looked like a zigzag and not linear, um, just wild disorienting, painful, liberating, joy-filled, excruciating, nightmares, daydreams, everything in between. It's just been um, moving from a oneness Pentecostal apostolic tradition to where I am now. Yeah, I don't even know where I am. I just am. And I'm, I'm okay with not being labeled I just want to be me. Are you pastoring in a brick and mortar church? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm pastoring in the therapy room. I still have a pastor's heart, but I haven't been working in an institutional church for four years now. In part, that's just because I got kicked out of the churches that I wanted to be a part of because of my books and the way I think. Ironically, though, I was allowed to teach in a university and it was so sacred to me. It's like the church doesn't want me, but the Christian university will take me. And I got to be with these wonderful students and just to wrestle with matters of, of faith and life and the integration of theology and psychology. It's beautiful. So you, you have a book that I'm fascinated to learn more about, Divine Echoes, Reconciling mm -hmm. Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God. This is a topic that I'm really on a journey and, and seeking out as really rethinking who God is in my life and who I am in God and divine and all these other things. 
But mm. prayer is a is a thing uh, as we're journeying in our household. My wife is like, well, do we pray? What does it look like? You know, uh, is, mm. is there a guy on a throne who decides if something good happens or not? Or if we have traveling mercies or we have to thank for our food and so I'm mean, with the topic uh, or with the, uh, the, the title of that book, what does prayer in concert with an, with an uncontrolling loving God look like? Well, it looks like th there's a few important ideas that need to be flushed out. Um, because I went from a place of being in the Pentecostal tradition where, you know, God was in control of all. Everything that happened did happen for a reason, because God ordained it or willed it. That God had um, all power, and God, through a snap of a finger, could instantly make something happen. And then, oddly, we were screaming. We were very passionate in prayer. But I think somehow that was the the idea was our prayers were karate chops to demons' throats, and that would number one, God would see how amazing that we are, that we were so passionate, and may be more apt to give us what we ask for in prayer. Uh, but two, we would knock some demons out, which maybe hindered or thwarted God's plans in our life in some way. So coming from that tradition and then looking at some important catalysts, which were my mom passing away from a drug overdose, but yet fervently praying for her for, for many years. Um, a brother who uh, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but prior to him being sort of institutionalized and then being in prison for the rest of his life, just praying and fasting and taking him to deliverance ministries. And one church, I remember we took him to, there was pla uh, paper bags under each seat because we believe they believed that all of us had demons in us. And so we had to vomit the demons in these, like any, anything we can go to. So to see what happened to my mother and brother and just to look out into the world and see, you know, what, is prayer effective? You know, is praying to God on behalf of others, the essence of petitionary prayer, uh, was that efficacious? Does it? What does it really do? Once these words leave my lips, where do, like does God hear them instantly, or do we go back in the the, the book of Daniel and somehow they, they weren't because demons were battling in, so God it, it clouded the transmitter. I don't know what was happening. All that to say that come to a very different conclusion, that if God is not in control of everything, if God's love is uncontrolling, if God doesn't force things, if God, if freedom is to such an extent that there could be a mass shooter ready, ready to shoot, that God, having no hands and legs besides the body of Christ, that God being spirit and being a being whose love is non-coercive and non-controlling in that way, what can God do? Right? Like, right. You know, so taking free will seriously and God's nature seriously, what does prayer do? And so that led me onto a whole journey 
of, you know, the, the end result is me coming to a place of what I call conspiring prayer. And that's a form of prayer where we create space in our busy lives to align our hearts with God's heart, where our spirit and God's spirit can breathe harmoniously together and where we plot together to subversively overcome evil with acts of love and goodness. Mm. I So, yeah, go ahead. I, sorry to interrupt. I, in the midst of this, oh, I, and, of, and of course, you know, our views of these all, all can be different things. Does, sure, sure. You see God as a, as a being. Is that still a part of your belief system that God is sort of a guy in the, in the cosmos somewhere out there? Oh, hell no. <laughs> uh, now, now, now I'm just saying hell no to the guy. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, at this place, having some form of panentheism where I, I do believe in God. I mean, listen, my life was drastically, dramatically changed from a person who wanted to kill himself, who tried to kill himself, uh, who wasn't successful and ha found the love of God that I myself to this day can't fully deconstruct and had a profound moment uh, where I gave my life to God. I, I There's a realness to God that can't be deconstructed. At the same time, I've done plenty of deconstruction to who God is and maybe sort of taking a more apophatic stance into sharing who God is not as opposed to who, who God definitively is. But God is somehow, even in the biblical metaphor of looking at the wind and breath and God's spirit, God is everywhere. Uh, it takes too much faith for me to believe that nothing, that something came from nothing. So someone, uh, the creator, sustainer, the divine lure towards that which is beautiful, good, and true, and noble, uh, the God who, yeah, is love, uh, exists. How that God exists is beyond me, but spirit is spirit. And whether it's the ground of all being or being itself, I'm alluding to that which defies my ability to comprehend. Love this conversation. And hey, if you want to help me continue to do this work and grow it, let me encourage you to check out my coaching mentorships on my website at pastor-paul.com. One special offering we have right now is Deconstruction You. If you're rethinking your faith, you might feel like you're in a field out on your own, just kind of groping around in the dark. My mentorship and Deconstruction You can help you start to feel like you're not alone, that I'm walking it through with you, and light starts to come into the path. I won't tell you how to believe. I don't believe in that. I don't make sheep. But what I will do is be a paraclete to walk alongside you and help you determine how you want to start to reconsider your faith and give you that permission to be on that journey. It's exciting when you start to learn that there actually is a better view of God when you get untethered to the indoctrination of your youth. And we can help you do that through the mentorship of Deconstruction You. The website is pastor-paul.com. Check out that Deconstruction You, Reconstruction You tab and find out more about my mentorship for you and how you jumping in can help me continue to grow this work and offer our content to so many to whom it's helpful. Pastor-Paul.com is the website. Now, back to our discussion. 
I was on a podcast with a couple of atheists and we had a great conversation. And in my deconstruction, they're like, why don't you just throw the whole thing out? And my answer was, I've just seen too many things that I can't explain. And, and, I'm, mm-hmm. and I stipulate it could all be inside or inside here somewhere, fine. But even, yeah. even the idea that the universe is expanding, like, so there has to be a container, doesn't there, that the universe is expanding mm-hmm. into? I, you know, all of that makes me think there is something bigger than this world that we know. But this idea of a God on a throne has been so hard for me because in part when as a father, mm-hmm. you know, in an evangelical church and even a very grace filled and non-fundamentalist one that I started on my own and was senior pastor of, there was still this sense of when my daughter broke her leg or my son had a baseball injury or even struggled and had a bad game that, that I was partly responsible for that, that, that like my mm-hmm. sin, my sinful being was causing my children to suffer. Um, And even my own childhood trauma uh, from people who said they heard God's voice and God never said, hey, stop abusing Paul. (laughs) You know, all of that just makes prayer a really difficult thing to start to parse through now what, you know, and what that looks like in life. And, And I'm assuming as a therapist, you see a lot of people who are sort of struggling with is it my fault that my relative died? Is it my fault that my kids got sick or something like that? Did yeah, they- yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few petitionary prayer can, the way it's taught and even its practice can be a detriment to human society. Mm. I'll tell you why. One is you just sort of alluded to it. Uh, the way it's taught can create this internal experience of fear, um, of guilt, uh, of shame, of sort of God's mad at me. Of If you put all of that energy, if you've never had it, and instead it was given towards loving others, if it was given towards love and kindness and self-compassion and grace and Gosh, so much we would be probably be better for it than those around us. But the, the one of the big things about petitionary prayer is I, I call the prayer stander effect. Uh, there's something in sociologists call the bystander effect. Yeah, some people say uh, it's not really. They've uh, deconstructed it and it's not a real thing. But there is a sense in which if something bad is happening – and you have a lot of people that know about it. And there's a sense in which, oh, well, someone else will take care of it because other people are on the scene. That's sort of a simplistic version of it. So let's take Mary. And Mary has, is sick and she needs healing. And so if I'm praying to God to heal Aunt Mary and God is saying, I want you to be my hands and feet and I want you to bring her water and soup and be kind, encouraging messages and empower her. If we're putting the onus on God and God is putting the onus on us, what's happening to Mary? Nothing. She's actually getting worse. Um, so there's a sense that if you think about all the times, and I've, I've been there, how many times have we prayed while nothing was done about the very things that we prayed for? 
like churches getting together. Oh God, we pray for those homeless people down the road. We pray you would feed them and take care of them. We pray that they would get to know you, Jesus. You know, this is happening in the prayer meetings. I, in the I prayed for those mountains to move a lot, Mark. I saw the mountain and I, I know, prayed and I wanted it to go be thrown in the sea. Come on. I know, I know. It's But what happens, you know, what happens to these people? Um, and so I do believe pe some people have literally died because of it. Some people have gotten sicker. Some people have suffered needlessly. Um, it does r remind me of a, a couple, I think it was the Shables who were, they had a kid, it was sick with some kind of, you know, pneumonia and just fervently praying to God and the child died. Um, because they didn't want to go to medicine and they didn't want to go to the secular people for help. But they actually did that with their second child, and that child died as well, and they actually served a uh, prison term. And they tried to, you know, say something about, you know, well, well, God's will. Or and I think I remember the judge was something like, no, no, you did this. This has nothing to do with the will of God. Um so that's a small sort of example and, and a bigger, you know, where where would we be if we took seriously that if God is spirit and God doesn't have hands and, and a body and even vocal cords in that way, and we are literally, you know, the body of Christ, uh, Jesus with skin on, gosh, if we actually believe that, you know, in other words, how many hours were spent in, in prayer as opposed to, you know, if somebody was, there was a flood and somebody was stuck in their car and they needed help or they were going to die, who would you rather, who would you prefer? Um, you know, a thoughtful or a prayerful person who's doing that in the confines of their home or someone, a thoughtful, prayerful person who's in the flood trying to rescue you, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you know, we have a story of Philip uh, disappearing in the Bible and, and reappearing somewhere else. Um, but Jesus still walked from village to village. He didn't just say, well, I'll sit here until God takes me to the next, next place. So, so perhaps sometimes using the tools at hand, like medicine and doctors and all those things are not necessarily uh, secondhand answers from God. Yeah. I mean, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Could such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself that is not accompanied by action is dead. And this is where I may differ from, from some process theologians in that there's sort of this beautiful poetical ways of talking about prayer and that it, it um, gives God more, uh, you know, energies to then do something beautiful with, you know, it's, it's somehow, you know, God is affected by our prayers. And I, I believe God is affected by our prayers, but I have a hard time believing that more people equal more energies equal greater results. Um, so that gets into uh, prayer chains. And I think it's good. So th this may get to Mark. What the hell do you believe about prayer? 
<laughs> Should we pray at all? Yeah. I do. I think it's important. I just don't think I, I'm just personally done with superstitious spiritual practices. I think prayer is powerful. I think prayer changes us. I think prayer can affect God, but I say it this way. If I had a dropper of water and I dropped one drop of water in the ocean, does that make the ocean wetter? Yeah. And so if God is affected by our prayers in such a way, how much effect does it have? Especially when you can have whole mega churches praying for people and yet still six-year-old Susie died from leukemia. Um, yeah, it's just a struggle with that. And then, of course, you get the, I do believe in miracles, but they seem to be rare uh, and they seem to be the outliers. And they seem to be probably synergistic encounters between various variables that come into alignment that then create sort of the, wow, um, John was miraculously cured from cancer. Well, you know, Jose and Frank and Sandra, yeah, they all died. God, But yeah, you know, this guy was healed. And that could have been because of a confluence of factors, maybe prayer as the man was praying. And that opened himself up to, you know, positive divine energies within himself. Encouragement from others, cleaner drinking water, uh, less stress, more, you know, all different kinds of variables, the food he was eating, uh, bitterness that he was holding or not, like a thousand variables that my mind can't even think about, along with God's loving lure towards healing. Because the alternative is that God has the power, but says, no, I'm going to let not, this one Not die. today for you, yeah. Yeah, that's the alternative, and I just don't know if, yeah. Or it's the, the the one that I really struggle with that I hear a lot of, you know, if a, a bus crashes and 20 people die, the one person that lives, it's like, well, God had a plan for you. You know, God God still needs you. And it's like, yeah. well, God didn't have a plan for the other 20. It 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 is dehumanizing and cruel and leaves yeah. other people feeling like, well, where was God for me? And we yeah. just put it in the, well, God has a bigger plan. You know, you'll know someday. Yes. And it just seems pretty injurious to, to people for me. Yeah, hmm. some, some, some it's palatable, some it's not. <laughs> yes. I, I think, and we have this, uh, you know, this, this book, very popular book out there about the body keeps the score. And I wonder if some of this isn't, like, like I really look at prayer now as this idea of Holy Spirit being a paraclete, one who comes alongside. And, and, and my encouragement to people is like, be a paraclete to each other, you know, car carry mm -hmm. one another's burdens together. And so, so praying for one another, to me, starts to share the energy of being people walking alongside and carrying our burdens together. And like you say, then does that light a flame of energy in the person who's struggling and, and something from inside of them brings a miracle or a healing. And I even look at it like uh, the, 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 the gathering demoniac in the Bible who gets released from a thousand demons and, and he mm -hmm. wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, no, you gotta, you gotta go back. And I almost see in that, like, like my therapist told me, I'm sorry, I'm side roading on my side no road. Yeah, please. My therapist, you know, I, I told her, like, I wish I could 
go to sleep one day and wake up in this sort of new space. And she said to me, but what would you lose in the middle of that journey? You know, what, what's important for you to learn in the struggle of getting to that new space? And I, I think Jesus was telling this man, like, no, there's, there's something really important in, in you interacting with your community in this new space. And so anyway, I guess I, I see the value of prayer and like, yes, I do believe there's something divine. It, we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We can pull something divine down from heaven, but but can it just be that we begin to walk alongside each other in prayer, carry our burdens together, and it just lightens things up and good things happen? Yeah, it, it could be all the above. Um, you know, I, know I, I did an interesting view of things, but it, I mean, I think there's some divine and humanity in partnership there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it could be looked at as a very spiritual experience. I mean, the I think some of the biblical authors, while I don't think they looked at it in such a scientific or mechanistic view, where it was sort of intuitive, where you know, like yeah, look at Elijah, you know, look look what he did, you know, it's it sort of becomes very pastoral, and I think. I don't think it's because that if we prayed, we, I know this, this may be a little controversial, but if we prayed somehow that would, you know, make God more loving, I, I don't, but I think it does, it can unite the community in real beautiful ways um, to like, even the psychology of knowing that you're being prayed for like on Facebook, you know, will you guys pray for me? I have a big exam tomorrow. Or I have a, a work interview. I'm thinking, number one, God loves you. And God cannot force an outcome. And, you know, I think God can encourage you and empower you. And But I don't think me praying for you thousands of miles away is then going to do something in God that then God downloads a particular wisdom to you because I did that. I you know, I, but I think them knowing that I'm praying for them is really important. And that it, 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 another way of saying that, and I, I almost wish people would be more honest and say, instead of, can you pray for me? Can you encourage me right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of like putting it on God, like I'm scared. I'm feeling a little insecure. Would you mind just like, yeah, saying something empowering to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like I'd rather like there be a little bit more honesty behind the prayer rather than making it a little bit more magical. And somehow if I pray for you, then what's going to happen? But if I don't pray for you, then God's going to be like, no, nope, Mark didn't pray for you. So you're uh, you're out of luck in this one, bud. <laughs> I don't but, think that God works that way. Yeah, it's it. I I worked in healthcare in the mid '90s and saw this statistic, and I don't know if it's still true or not. But but it was people who got prayed for got out of the hospital bed faster than people who weren't. That's why we had chaplains uh, in in healthcare. Uh, and I was like, yes, yeah, see, prayer works. But then I read the whole study and found out it didn't matter what religion, what denomination, who was doing the praying. People that got prayed for by a priest, a pastor, a Muslim imam, uh, a voodoo doctor. It, it didn't just, if they were prayed for, they got out of bed faster. 
And, and so, yeah, yeah, there's something about us knowing that somebody cares enough to pray for us that is empowering and enriching of our lives. Indeed. And it's, uh, it's very, think about a prayer meeting and the, the energy that's, you know, just, and then it, it helps us keep in mind what's important. And maybe God is bringing, you know, some things to our attention in different creative ways to conspire with God to bring about some love and goodness and healing. So I think it has a lot of beautiful communal factors, which is just, it's spiritual. It's beautiful. It's great. Like God's in all that stuff. But to engage in sort of a God is some sort of genie in the sky kind of thing and that if we don't pray, then God won't help people pay their rent or recover from sickness or it's just it's to me it's an archaic view of god that's just uh, hard to uh, sit with oh and particularly that job version of god and satan are talking every day trying to decide you know is today the day i get to get paul god you know no not today satan maybe tomorrow <laughs> what a horrible yeah, I mean, view we, we think of that so it's such a devotional reading but when we really like, well, hold on, are you kidding me? Like, first of all, if they're having a conversation in heaven, who's a stenographer? Like, <laughs> how is anyone like getting this on paper or, or stone here? Like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions you start to ask. And then like, oh, it's like, you know, Satan, do they sit on, on Tuesdays and have conversations about, you know, different people in the community and, you know, like, no, you could touch, you could hurt this guy, but not this guy. Is that really? But that's when you start thinking about it. Um, but, yeah, if you take more of a poetical, devotional, like, oh, wow, that's that's so cool, I think. Well, it's been a great discussion. I want to I want to let you on your way, and I've got one more question for you. But first, the, the new book is Religious Refer, uh, Referees, Religious Refugees, Deconstructing yeah. Toward Spiritual and Emotional Healing by Dr. Mark Karras, who's our guest today. Where can people find your books and find uh, you think, in general? Sure. I think if you just typed in Amazon, you'll you'll get a few. Don't get the first one. Uh, but the, the second two uh, are, are, yeah, beautiful. There are oh, so much time and energy and passion into those. Um, so uh, website, markgregorykaris.com, K-A-R-R-I-S.com. Um, that's sort of my therapy website. I am working on a book currently. I imagine, I hope it will be out probably within the year um, or shorter. Tentative title, Out of the Fiery abyss healing from the trauma of hell indoctrination mm. so that's coming along incredibly uh so i'm just so excited about that book and uh probably around 200 pages in and so that will be coming out as well well you better hurry there's not much of the year left <laughs> oh my god next year i said <laughs> right within a year not within this a year. year oh i got you within within a year. Year. okay good Good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's just finish with this. There, sure. A lot of people deconstructing. They've gone through sort of the trauma of realizing, like, hey, I don't believe what I used to believe. I'm going to have to step out of this community. You talked about it like leaving a lover, and Rachel Held Evans talked about it like looking at your old boyfriend on Facebook. What, what's your advice to people as they're leaving? 
their religious heritage and their religious community behind of, of doing it really well and in a healthy manner. Ooh, wow. That's a, that you got 50 minutes. Um, <laughs> a couple, a couple of points is if you can find your, uh, unholy huddle, this group of people that can be compassionate witnesses being with you witnessing that, which is for them, they might call unholy, but is for you something important. These aches, these pains, these longings, these cognitive dissonant splinters that are there. So community is so important. And I know that's hard because it's people who have hurt us, but yet I, I do believe that it's people who can really help. So finding a community, whether it's one, whether it's two, three people on Facebook or with Paul or with other people who kind of have these beautiful communities. So important to there are, you know, therapists who specialize in religious trauma can be really important for the journey. Um, but there's also spiritual directors. Um, yeah. Jim Palmer, you know, on his site, he offers package deals, you know, so he's not a therapist like me, but I know he charges much less. And just a great work, you know, find somebody, reach out, take a risk. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be there forever, but it does mean you want to be intentional about <clears throat> integration, about healing, um, whether it's disorientation or trauma or just processing some adverse religious experiences. It's so important to find somebody who specializes in these particular areas. If I could say even without that, um, self-compassion work has been incredible in my life, incredible research mm -hmm. to treat yourself as you would a dear friend who is suffering with something similar. Mm -hmm. And how can you take that same posture as you would towards them, towards yourself in the midst of this sort of liminal space you may find yourself. And uh, I would check out um, Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion work. And of course, Brene Brown has some good stuff in that too. Yeah. So I would just say, be well, be kind to yourself, yeah. be kind to others, keep it real. And I hear in all of that and my own experiences, don't, don't, don't be afraid to let it be messy. And, yeah. uh, you know, there, I, I heard an old saying that I loved of, uh, nurseries are messy. Cemeteries are, are clean and neat and one has life and the other has death. And so it is a messy process inherently. We're going to get it wrong some, but I think you said earlier, and it's one of my favorite mantras yeah. that God will not be mad at you for exploring these things out. So I, I love mm -hmm. all of that that you shared. Yeah. God ain't mad at truth. Thank you for joining me. Pastor-Paul.com is the website. We hope you'll subscribe and help keep the work we're doing going. You are amazing. And remember, God is not mad at you.